The following program is being brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today, we're talking about why an ecological fish habitat ocean research area within the Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary. And talking with me today are Superintendent Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. Hey, Rob, how are you? Very good. And John Williamson from Stellwagen Alive. Hello, John. Hi, Rob. John, you wear many hats, so what else can we, should the listener know about you besides um, Stellwagen Alive? <laughs> Uh, well, I've had, my background is in commercial fishing. Uh, I started uh, as a commercial fisherman in Maine out of college back in the 1970s and um, um, fished in different places around the country and uh, eventually migrated into uh, uh, being a trade representative and, and, um, and was eventually appointed to the Fishery Management Council in the 1990s and served in that capacity for nine years. Um, I now at this point I'm uh, I have a charter boat and I do I do various charter work with it and uh, and I remain involved in an active way uh, primarily with the National Marine Sanctuaries uh, program. Well, people don't unless those in the know don't may not know that uh, John Williamson was nominated to the New England Fisheries Management Council by two different states, both what well, was it, both Maine and New Hampshire. Um, well, that's ancient so, history, but yes. Uh, Governor King uh, from Maine and Governor Merrill from New Hampshire originally uh, nominated me to the council. Uh, I was representing fishermen from both states at the time, and we were dealing with some testy problems in uh, with uh, harbor porpoise bycatch management, and uh, so I was representing gillnet fishermen in the regulatory process to try to deal with that problem. So if John sounds twice as smart as the rest of us, that's why. Uh, Superintendent McDonald, thanks for coming on the show. And can you tell us a bit about um, the vision of Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary? Yeah, Rob. Um, what I begin with is we have a sanctuary advisory council that's made up uh, currently of 17 public members and three state and three federal uh, 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 ex official members. Uh, when we're doing the management plan review, uh, which culminated in the final plan being published last year, we ran an exercise where we involved all of the, the public uh, members in a process to articulate a, a consensus a view of what is the vision for the Stellwagen Bank National Sanctuary. And 
It's short. If I could just read it, it's the Stowagen Bank National Sanctuary. It's teeming with a great diversity and abundance of marine life, supported by diverse, healthy habitats and clean ocean waters. The ecological integrity of the sanctuary is protected and fully restored for current and future generations, and human uses are diverse and compatible with maintaining natural and cultural resources. Uh, and the makeup of the advisory council includes fishing interests, diving interests, archaeological interests, um, shipping interests, public at large, environmental um, education, research. So it's a, it's a great cross-section of all of the constituent interests uh, that uh, use and value the, uh, the sanctuary. Yes. And, and so that is quite a, a charge to have to manage, and it's a wonderful goal to shoot for or to aim toward, I guess, chart one's course is that, so forth. Um, I am uh, director of the Ocean River Institute here and have been involved with uh, going out and seeing the whales on Stellwagen Banks since the first whale watches. And at that time, uh, we saw a whale with a white, uh, white on the back of the dorsal fin, and we didn't know what gender it was, but it came back the next year with a calf, and this was this is salt, the whale, humpback whale. And uh, with John Williamson, uh, just a month and a half ago or so, um, we saw I saw salt once again on Stellwagen Bank feeding after thirty or whatever numbers of years it's been. So it's a phenomenal uh, natural resource. I also am a huge consumer of seafood, and so I look forward to forever having. Uh, good seafood from the ocean, and meaning we need to have healthy oceans and healthy fish stocks so that we can have prosperous fishermen so that uh, I can be happily fed. Uh, so uh, Stellwagen has, Bank Sanctuary, has. you've done a lot of research besides just the, uh, the, re- the uh, fish habitat ocean research. Uh, what are some of your successes? Well, I think there's several that relate to uh, marine mammal protection. Uh, a few years ago, after analyzing 27 years of data over a five-year time frame and you know, collaborating with the Coast Guard and Massport in Massachusetts and the Boston Harbor Pilots, uh, we were able to put together a proposal uh, to the United Nations, to the International Maritime Organization, to move the shipping lanes that come into the Port of Boston so that it, uh, it, it avoids the areas that we discovered were the historical uh, areas that were used historically by whales with the, with the, uh, the uh, goal, with the, the explicit objective of reducing the risk of, of large vessels striking whales by, by up to 81%. And the United Nations took that action on, on our behalf uh, a couple of years ago, and and since then there has not been um, a recorded ship strike uh, by large vessels within the sanctuary area. So we've been really quite pleased, not only with the collaborative effort that resulted in this action, but also what looks like a very positive result. That's incredible. Let me repeat that, that you took many years of whale watch data and mapped out where the whales were most frequenting Stellwagen Bank and found that there was like two areas that they were very frequent in, and that, lo and behold, the shipping channel was laid right across the southern area. And so with that data, you were able to convince uh, or 
the various parties involved, the agencies and so forth, were able to actually move the shipping channel north away from that heavily fed, air, heavily whale, whale, where there are whales area to uh, kind of like a dumbbell where there was fewer whales and a shorter transect across a stell wagon for the ships. Yeah, that's that, that's correct. Uh, so what what what's happened? Think of it as a as a as a trough between the two historical uh, hot spots for feeding, and we just threaded the shipping lane through the trough. Um, and uh, it, it seems to be doing a good job. And then you've got those marvelous buoys that we can sit in our living room and watch on the screen of our computer. Oh, that's right. This is a uh, the uh, LNG companies. Um, as we were going, moving the shipping lanes, they were also looking to establish the, the offshore ports. Um, and we at first had a conflict where, where we wanted to move the shipping lane was going to interfere with their security zone. Uh, but we were able to resolve those differences. Um, and in response to the licensing agreement that was issued by the Maritime Administration to the two companies, um, it was an incumbent upon them to... Uh, take steps to mitigate um, against uh, not so much ship strike as uh, essentially noise interfering with with whale communication and uh, uh, large uh, hydrophones placed on buoys where have been put permanently um, uh, through the LNG company support uh, through the shipping lanes. So, and work with the sanctuary and Noah Fishery Service and Cornell University. Um, there is now real-time detection capabilities for right whales. And if people go to listenforwhales.org, uh, that's the uh, Cornell University site, you can actually call up and see the map and see whether or not whales have been detected within the shipping lanes. It's fabulous. It's like a marauder's map of the whales of Stowagon Bank, where uh, if there's a whale in the vicinity of a buoy, there'll be a little picture of a a little diagram of a whale, and if the buoy changes color, that means that there are whales about, and and you can just see that the situation change day to day, and, and perhaps hour to hour. In fact, you can see it change hour to hour, should the whales be so moving about. Yeah, this is the this is probably the first time that this real time detection um, the capability has been put in place uh, to our knowledge anywhere within the world. There there have been temporary you know, installments where hydrophones are placed on the seafloor and they were detected. But uh, this is really uh, part of the infrastructure that will be in place for 20 to 40 years. That's I can jump in for a second, Rob. Craig has just, has just given two very good examples of what is the genius of the National Marine Sanctuary Program. And that is is that it's it, overall it's seeking to create partnerships that create data sets and the science and uh, and partnerships with industrial interests to solve uh, difficult environmental problems and overall lower the environmental footprint of various industrial activities in this case in both cases in this in this case it's it's uh, shipping activities through the through the sanctuary having having some impact on whale populations and uh, and the industry, the shipping industry, is stepping up to the plate and helping to generate the information and providing uh, the funding to, to create that buoy system that helps to solve the problem. Yes, 
Uh, are there other examples that come to your mind, John? Well, this is the, uh, this is the challenge of, uh, of, um, of dealing in the marine ecosystem. Uh, it overall has been that uh, it has been the, the paucity of really good data to make decisions from. And so, I mean, I, I Craig can, I'm sure, can, can tell a lot of other stories as well. The MDR, M, uh, WRA experience with uh, monitoring for water quality from the uh, outfall uh, is another one. Uh, improvements in water quality in and around Mass Bay from uh, from uh, shoreside uh, uh, planning. So, Craig, I'm probably stealing your your themes here, but well, well we're going to have to take a break in just a moment. So, I was. Thank you for those additional things, uh, John Williamson, and we'll be right back after this break. Learn how to become a part of the solution, not the problem. Participate in the discussion by calling 1-888-346-9141. That's toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. This is the Voice America Green Living Channel. Spread the green. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. This is the Voice America Green Living Channel, helping to provide a sustainable future for us all. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking about Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary a fabulous ocean area that's offshore of Boston and north of Provincetown and south of Gloucester. It's really the threshold between the Gulf of Maine and Massachusetts Bay. And with me are Superintendent of the Sanctuary, Craig McDonald, and Fisherman and Stellwagen Alive Director, John Williamson. Uh, Superintendent McDonald, uh, tell us some more about... Um, the proposal for a uh, sanctuary ecosystem research area. 
Yeah, one of the things, uh, Rob, that the sanctuary is, is endeavoring to do um, is to learn more about how C4 habitats um, uh, evolve, succeed, um, change over time uh, naturally, and we'd like to learn more about how that, that process is affected by different kinds of fishing. Um, John mentioned the tie-in and the cooperation and the involvement that we developed with the marine transportation industry in moving the shipping lanes, and we're looking to uh, develop a same kind of working relationship with the fishing community as we uh, develop and, and propose a, an ecological research area within the sanctuary. Uh, there is a draft proposal on our website, uh, which is um, you know, Stellwagen, and that's S-T-E-L-L-W-A-G-E-N dot NOAA dot gov that indicates the, the initial thinking on this, on um, uh, what this proposal might look like. And eventually what we're hoping is that the uh, New England Fishery Management Council can become um, you know, involved in, in, the, in the process of working with us. Uh, but the, the key here is that when we completed our final management plan in, in June 2010, one of the, the large issues that was identified was that, that fishing does have a profound impact on uh, different habitat types and that fishing within the sanctuary is, is quite pervasive. So one of the things that we're striving to do is, well, how can we identify a, an experimental design or research design that will enable us to minimize the impact on fishing that would afford us a proportional representation of the four major habitat types within the sanctuary um, and that the majority of which would be within um, the same uh, uh, oceanographic regime. And, uh, and I might just say before we went about doing that, the four major habitat types within the sanctuary are, are sand, mud, gravel, and then to a, a lesser but still very important extent, boulders. Um, I mean, I can go on. I'm uh, uh, t- talking about this, uh, or if you'd like me to talk a little more about what our current situation is and you know, how we, would, we feel it's important to move from a situation where we have a, a relatively unimpacted reference site to a more formal and, and carefully designed research area. Yes, well, that, that is the goal, uh, but it's interesting to hear how you uh, try to minimize the... the uh, the, the areas that would be uh, so managed uh, within the sanctuary in that the sanctuary as a whole uh, in your report makes clear that on, on average the sanctuary is one-third uh, sandy bottom, one-third gravel bottom, one-third mud bottom, and, uh, and then there are whole different ecosystems tied to that. So if you want to see the whales, you go looking over the sandy bottoms. When that's what, if you want to see whales feeding, they're feeding over the sandy bottoms. If you want to see uh, wolf fish denning or something, then they would be in, in a more uh, mud bottom or uh, canyon topography type habitat. And and it was important to find rep- rather than make the whole sanctuary a research area, it was it was great to be able to find a, that same proportion of thirds uh, in within the sanctuary. And and furthermore, to find that it didn't take up a huge percentage of the uh, sanctuary. 
you know, it was a very, um, I think, a very exhaustive process that we've engaged in. We we have looked at uh, over 12 years of vessel trip report data that uh, totaled over 118,000 fishing trips to the sanctuary, and we looked at how though that fishing um, was distributed across the sanctuary by you know, different gear type, and we're able to. Uh, what we call bin, we're able to aggregate gear types into six different categ- uh, five different categories, you know, such as mobile gear and fixed gear and party charter commercial handline. And then what we, we we looked at was well, how do we minimize the the, the impact to overall? Well, that was the first thing to do was to look at overall how can we minimize the impact on on fishing and. We were very pleased to say that the, the northeast corner of the sanctuary um, is an area where there um, is uh, uh, normally uh, much less fishing. Uh, so we were able to converge on, on a, a spatial pattern based on fishing. Then we looked at, well, how are these four habitat types distributed across the sanctuary? And we we were then able to resolve further the area we wanted to look at so that it had this representative uh, um, inclusion of the, the major habitat types. And then we laid on top of that, we looked at the three oceanographic regimes which uh, overlap the sanctuary, uh, which is the main surface water, main intermediate water, and, and main deep water. And main intermediate water, covers about 63% of the sanctuary, and lo and behold, we were very fortunate in that that water type um, also uh, occurred within the area that we had identified you know, for a proposed ecological research area. So we feel that we've been very successful in meeting the three cri- design criteria, and that was to minimize the impact on fishing, and is to uh, include or represent proportion of the major habitat types, and it was to uh, remain as much as possible the same oceanographic regime. So what did you come up with? Well, we're looking at an area that would, uh, in total, would constitute about 39% of the sanctuary. Um, When you take into consideration the sanctuary is almost the size of the state of Rhode Island, Um, it's uh, 640 square nautical miles. Um, we are, we're looking at an area that would be 39% of the sanctuary. Now, 22% of the sanctuary is already restricted to major uh, f- fishing that uh, has a major impact on seafloor habitat, so bottom dragging, bo- uh, dredging, uh, bottom gillnet, bottom longline. Uh, in an area called the Sliver, this is where the Western Gulf of Maine closure. It's hard for the perhaps our listeners without a map to envision this, but there's this Western Gulf of Maine closure area, which is a, a habitat a protection area that overlaps the sanctuary by 22%. Now, the, that 22% area is commonly referred to as the Sliver, and that that is the foundation of of our ecological research area. So what we're really doing is we're really adding 17% to the existing 22% uh, partial closure to affect this design. And we're looking at essentially three treatments within the design. We're looking at a, uh, a, a no-fishing sub-area that could serve as a reference site. Then we're looking at one of the treatments is just, well, just hook-and-line fishing. What is the impact of just hook-and-line fishing on 
of biological communities and, and how they change and, and evolve. Then we're looking at a, an additional treatment, which is it's all fishing except the bottom dragging, bottom mobile gear, so bottom dragging and, and, and dredging. And then the rest of the sanctuary, um, the, you know, the, the, the remainder, the 61%, um, would be fishing as is currently occurring or as is regulated by, by National Fishery Service. And what this affords us is the first time anywhere and the, probably the only place within the entire Gulf of Maine where you would have a, a no-fishing reference site that you could then make explicit determinations of what, how certain fishing gear types impacted those biological communities. And with that knowledge, we can then suggest or, or recommend that there are certain habitat types that are most compatible with certain gear types. And it, it may be that, um, for example, sand, which is shallow and, and disturbed uh, normally, um, maybe that is the appropriate place for uh, you know, bottom dragging or dredging, such as you know, scallop dredging is done over sand. Um, maybe certain habitats like, like gravel habitats that uh, tend to take a long time to recover from disturbance. Maybe these should be areas where there is not bottom mobile gear. Um, so one of the challenges of sanctuary management is that the, the, the mission of the sanctuary is to, uh, to conserve, protect, and enhance the biological diversity and the ecological integrity and the cultural legacy of the sanctuary but while facilitating uses that are compatible you know, with the primary goal of resource protection. But one of the things we don't know is what is compatible. There is no standard. There's no criteria. So this ecological research area will for the first time, or would for the first time, provide us with the science to, and the, the, the information to make some judgments as to can we make certain kinds of fishing compatible you know, with uh, sanctuary usage by directing those activities to certain, gear, to certain habitat types. It's essentially can we match habitat with gear so that we have mitigated against the, the, uh, any, any negative impacts that, that may occur. Right. So uh, less than half of the research area would be would be no fishing, and the other the rest of it would be divided between hook and line fishing, which is tend to be recreational fishing, and there would be another area where there is no recreation fishing and just commercial fishing. And you're going to maintain the the sliver area where currently and for a number of years there's been no uh, dragging or commercial fishing, so that that will not change in this new plan, right? Well, p part of it part of it would. Part of this, what has been yes. in the past would be part of the no-fishing control. But, yes, by and large, that, that portion that is for the no-fishing zone would change, but the rest of the sliver would stay. That's We're going to take a quick break and be right back to talk about Stellwagen Bank Research Area. This is the Voice America Green Living Channel. Spread the green. All together now, all together now. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. This is the Voice America Green Living Channel. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're talking about Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary with Superintendent Craig McDonald, and John Williamson. John, you and I serve on the Stellwagen Advisory Council, and uh, could you tell us a bit, could you tell us more about the work of the ecosystem-based management group? Sure. The, uh, uh, several years ago, the Sanctuary Advisory Council was uh, tasked with uh, coming up with uh, presenting the sanctuary program with recommendations for managing various aspects of the sanctuary. And we formed uh, 11 working groups in all and uh, with different tasks. And one of them was the ecosystem-based sanctuary management working group, which I happened to chair. And, um, and the group was made up of people with expertise in, uh, eco- in marine ecology and conservation and uh, education and from the fishing industry. And we had a number of members of the fishing industry involved. And the dialogue was was uh, chiefly to uh, between the fishermen and the uh, scientists, and it was to look at the at what it is that we need to know about the sanctuary to understand its ecology, so that we can in, uh, protect those in, in important aspects of ecology. The attributes of wilderness is one of the things we defined that makes uh, that support wild fisheries. In the sanctuary, we first of all, uh, this group looked at what is ecosystem-based management. We tried to, and we searched the literature and 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 scientific literature 
to get a better definition of what that is. And one of the things that really struck everyone is that in true management of ecosystems, whether it's marine ecosystems or terrestrial ecosystems, you have to recognize that human beings are a part of that ecosystem, and, you're, and so that you have to visualize the, uh, the activities of human beings in the context of the whole. And, uh, and understand that, this, that you're not, you can't look at ecosystems anymore apart from the activities of human beings. And that's especially true in the sanctuary where we have a lot of human activities and fishing being the, the, probably the primary one. Where, uh, where fishermen are using the sanctuary and the environments of the sanctuary, that every, every square inch of the sanctuary is is fished at some point during the year by some different some some different type of fishery or gear type, and so it's a matter of understanding what those uh, what these fishing activities do to the ecology, and look for ways that you that those uh, that any um, impacts that might come from that can be minimized. In other words, to lessen the overall footprint of fishing in the sanctuary without lessening the opportunity for fishermen to go fishing within the sanctuary. The, the sanctuary itself is, is fairly large, as Craig described, 840 square miles, but it's actually very small when you see it in the context of the entire Gulf of Maine. And yet its importance to the ecology of the Gulf of Maine has is, is been documented, and, it's, and, it's, and it is outsized. In its, in, in its value to the overall ecology of marine resources uh, here in the Northeast. Now, I can say as a fisherman uh, that the sanctuary, the fishing in the sanctuary is like fishing nowhere else as far as the, uh, the diversity of marine life and the amount of fish that come there during various times of the year. So it's important that what the attributes that bring the fish there and that bring the fishermen after those fish, and bring the whales and, marine, and other marine mammals and all the species that come to the sanctuary to experience that uh, because of the diversity of life there. That we don't that we protect the basic attributes that underlie that, and that's been, and so that's been the underlying work of uh, the of this working group that was formed. And it's the and it's the discussions from that working group that have now uh, 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 led the the sanctuary program to design this ecological research proposal. Excellent. And then on the Stellwag and Advisory Council are representatives of the New England Fisheries Management Council and National Marine Fisheries Service. So. Although they may not be active in the working group itself, you're, you're keeping them abreast, right? Uh, absolutely. They're, they're, they're people from both bodies who are ex officio members on the Sanctuary Advisory Council. And, and this is really about um, uh, ongoing dialogue between the user communities and those uh, people who, have, who take a strong interest in what goes on in the sanctuary and take a lot of value from the sanctuary, and the government agencies uh, and entities that are tasked with the responsibility of actually managing what those resources and, uh, and creating the regulations. What's uh, the interesting um, uh, partnership here is, is that the 
fisheries in the council in the uh, in the sanctuary are not managed directly by the sanctuary system. They are managed by NOAA Fisheries, National Marine Fisheries Service, and uh, and the regulations are developed at the uh, New England Fishery Management Council. So there's a real need for there to be a strong uh, conduits of dialogue between the sanctuary program and the New England Fishery Management Council to make sure that that we're acting in concert to satisfy. Uh, well, for the Fishery Management Council, their primary law that they're focused on is the, National, is the uh, Magnuson-Stevens Fishery Conservation and Management Act, which is about managing fish resources for the maximum benefit of the nation, producing as much fish as possible. The sanctuary are the, 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 the law that, is, uh, that pertains most directly for the sanctuary management is the National Sanctuaries Act, which uh, uh, has several different provisions to it, but primarily it's man- uh, it, on the ecology side, it's managing the ecological integrity of the sanctuary. Those are two somewhat different goals under the law, yeah. and, and reconciling those two goals is one of the challenges that uh, science uh, uh, is, the science uh, is meant to answer. So the, the- uh, clarify the different goals. The New England Fisheries Management Council manages populations, and the Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary is looking at ecosystems. The New England Council manages the population of fish, and uh, the sanctuary is managing to a large extent where they live and, um, and how they relate to each other. And uh, and uh, that's and that's a that is a big hole. I think it's important for people to understand that uh, the challenge for fisheries management uh, over the last twenty years uh, has been one of restoring and rebuilding fish stocks, populations of uh, commercial species that had been severely uh, depleted. Uh, over time through our not understanding um, uh, the carrying capacity and and sustainable levels of fishing. And so we had some very unsustainable practices going on during the 1970s and uh, 80s, and in in fact during the 60s with foreign fishing fleets, that all contributed to depletion of fish stocks. And so the 19... Uh, 90s and the and the, the decade of 2000, the last 20 years has been a ma- matter of the Fishery Management Council trying to come to grips with the challenge of rebuilding those depleted stocks. And it's only been in the last few years now that there has been we've started to see some real successes that way. So rebuilding these fish populations is the first big step. Uh, toward managing the overall ecology of the of the of the territory of of New England waters, because when these po- populations are depleted, then you have a skewed and unbalanced ecosystem. So restoring these population levels is the first step in bringing back some ecological balance. But once we start now seeing some some major improvements in fish populations. We now have to start asking ourselves, well, what is possible, and what are the optimum? Con- what are the conditions that are going to create the optimum amount of opportunity over the long term? And that's about looking at how the, these populations relate to each other, how they how they affect each other's the balance uh, ecologically, 
and what are the conditions, the ecological conditions, that make populations thrive? And in some cases, though, that, those can be uh, uh, some very hidden and cryptic uh, uh, effects that, that only science can un- unveil for us. But on the other hand, you, the, the ecosystem scientists and the fishermen have overlapping common ground in trying to diminish the detrimental effects of the gear on un- unrelated, you know, unsought-after fish and, and marine organisms or in uh, lessening the bycatch that, you know, the fishermen have to deal with or uh, that hurts the ecosystem. I mean, I can give a really uh, uh, concrete example from my own experience. When I first started uh, gill netting in, uh, in the 1980s, uh, early 1980s, um, you, we, gill netters would set on a type of bottom that old-timers used to call curly bottom. And it was mud bottom, um, and marine, burrowing marine organisms would actually bring up mud and form sculpt very complex structures. We, we fishermen used to call it pipe clay. And, we, and mm. we, sometimes we'd get these uh, structures caught in our gill nets, and you'd get a chunk that would come up in the gill net, sometimes maybe as big as a five-gallon bucket. And it would be hard clay structures that were pipes, inside of pipes. And inside these structures would be all sorts of invertebrates and small octopus and baby fish, and uh, and you could see it in, on your bottom sounding machine. You could see these these pipe clay areas would cover acres and acres and acres, and um, and it would be very fishy bottom for setting gill nets. Uh, John, we're going to take a quick break and be right back after this break. Eco-conscious trends and lifestyles. You're listening to the Voice America Green Living Channel. Spread the green. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
At the Voice America Green Living Channel, our experts want to hear your voice. Do you have a question or comment for our hosts? Call us toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. The Voice America Green Living Channel. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're talking with John Williamson about Stellwagen Bank and an ecological research area. John, you were telling us about um, your days as a gill netter. I was telling the story about uh, how we used to fish on a type of mud bottom called pipe clay, and it was very complex mud structures created by uh, marine organisms and invertebrates, and it would become an area where where fish, flounders, cod, haddock loved to feed. And so, what happened me, during the, the invertebrates uh, would, would burrow through the ground and make it more of a, a pipe kind of situation? Is that what it They means? would make very complex structures, uh, small sculptures on the bottom. It wouldn't be just flat clay. It would be lots of structure. And small fish and lots of other things would live in that structure. And the nooks and crannies and what, what, happened, what happened over the years is that with, the, with advanced electronics, navigation systems, the uh, draggermen learned how to prospect a path down through the pipe clay. Originally, when I first started fishing, you couldn't. Draggermen had to avoid the pipe clay because it would. They, when they would get into it, the, the broken up clay would fill up their net, and then they would not. Be, they'd not be able to get their net to the surface of the mm. water. It'd be left, they would be. They'd have to. It would be stuck on the bottom of the ocean. So they had to. They used to have to avoid that pipe clay, but they discovered uh, with electronics ways to prospect a path through the pipe clay, and they would be able to tow down through the pipe clay. Well, what they what happened after a while is that one fisherman would prospect a path, and another fisherman would follow him, and pretty soon that path would become a road, and then that road would become a highway, and then that highway became a parking lot. And the pipe clay kept getting, the areas of pipe clay kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller until there's very little left of it out there. And what you have instead is just flat mud bottom. Well, flat mud bottom doesn't support as much life as the pipe clay did. And so there's that, that's just an example, one example of how, you know, reasonable uh, fishing techniques over the years have created a different condition in the ocean that supports a different amount of life. And, and, uh, it's, and, it's, and it's not necessarily what we want. And so the question is that we have to pose in a scientific way is to say, what are the things that we can do and what are the ways that we can manage so that we create more opportunity for life to thrive and a bigger set of opportunities for fishermen in the future as populations not only rebound but begin to expand to their historic potential. And so the Stellwagen ecosystem-based research area addresses that question. Uh, Stellwagen Bank uh, proposal for a research area is 
possibly uh, one of the most important uh, things that we could do now to create conditions for the future is to put, be able to put scientists working together with fishermen to look at the techniques and the technology for fishing in the future that will help us be better stewards and have less environmental impact and still catch the same amount of fish. So there may actually be some jobs for fishermen to do research in this. Uh, I, I, would, uh, I would assume that that would be a, 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 a primary off, off, offshoot of doing this work, that, yes, fishermen would be very much actively involved, not just in doing the work, but in making hypotheses as well. Excellent. Superintendent McDonald, you know, we know these are terrible economic times, and nobody works harder than the fishermen. And how can we justify, you know, closing off an area that is to, relatively close to uh, Gloucester, you know, to ask them to have to travel more miles and use more ice and spend more sea time? Well, as I mentioned earlier on in the, on the uh, you know, in the interview, is that one of the goals of this research area was to minimize the impact on fishing. Um, and so in, in addition to the science part of this proposal, we also did a very standard classical analysis of the economic impacts that could be expected. And the conclusion is that there would be zero to no economic impacts on, on, on fishermen. The, the timing on this is very important. Um, even though we've come to that conclusion with the proposal, uh, NOAA has decided at this time not to uh, formally submit the, the proposal to the New England Fishery Management Council. Uh, we want eventually to, or ideally, this proposal would be uh, submitted to the New England Fishery Management Council. We've been working you know, through the council process up till now uh, on the EFH omnibus amendment. The EFH is essential fish habitat. Um, as the fishery service and as the sanctuaries move towards ecosystem-based management, there are more and more opportunities for the sanctuary to, to integrate with the fishery management process. So the EFH omnibus amendment process is going to take a while, um, so there's some time to let things uh, gel. We've posted our draft proposal on the website so people can become familiar with it. In the meantime, our National Fishery Service is completing a, a series of reports on the, the economic status and performance of sector-based management. So the agency is very sensitive to the issue you raised. They're at this point not introducing this proposal into the mix of, of, of management here until there's a better understanding of how sector-based management works. Um, so people are encouraged to go to our website and see what we're considering. Um, and um, as decisions are made based on findings of analysis of um, how well the fishing industry is doing, um, you know, we are hopeful that at the appropriate time, you know, this proposal could be moved over to the Fishery Management Council and integrated into the fishery management process. Yes, I would urge people to look at the website, look at the proposal, check out the numbers. The fishery closed area is only 15% of the entire sanctuary. And we don't realize this on the shore. We just hear area closed. And so it sounds like it's the western Gulf of Maine closure area all over again. But this is a, a relatively small piece, although a very important one to fishermen and conservationists and wildlife people. It's just a small piece. 
And uh, the other side is that hopefully if fish uh, return and increase their populations in this small closure area, that they will wander out of the closure area and that we should see the overall take or harvest from Stellwagen Bank increase with time. And we, we would have the basis to work with the you know, fishery management agencies to uh, help us direct the, the gear type to the appropriate habitat. And what this would help us realize is, is our goal of, of uh, environmentally sustainable fishing within the sanctuary, where fishing is conducted in ways where it's economically and sociable viable, but it's also protective of the habitats and the biological communities that, that serve as a basis for the fishery. And that's the reason for a Stellwagen Bank ecosystem research area. We're out of time, and I really want to thank John Williamson for taking the time to explain the ecology and the ways of the laws of fisheries with us. John, thank you. Ron. And uh, Superintendent Craig McDonald, thank you for stepping aside from all your other responsibilities of running a, a fabulous sanctuary to talk with us about the uh, proposal for a uh, ecosystem-based research area. And if you would like to know more about it, please go to stellwagonnoaa.gov. You can also read about it at oceanriver.org. Thank you all for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogue. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Living Channel. We'll talk again then. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.